On today's show, we are going to tackle DC Comics and the rumored uh, fan sale to a group of investors who are looking to swoop in and take the publishing from AT&T. And uh, th- this, this has burned up the comic book world and there is a lot of crazy information. We're going to sort through it. I'm going to walk you through the pros, the cons, and exactly why this is absolutely happening at this time. We are going to wrap up and do a little market watch talking WandaVision and why this show is driving sales on trades, back issues, digital platforms in a way that no recent uh, comic book series property adapted work has. So we've got a lot to cover. We're going to jump right into it. Earlier this week, the interwebs, the uh, the internet, the, the this Twitter, it exploded Facebook with this idea that DC Comics, uh, someone at DC Comics has entertained and or opened the door for a group of uh, investors, fans, described as not your average fans. These are notable people. Saying fans is, is a great headline, but it's misleading. I'm a fan of DC Comics. I have lots of, you know, uh, uh, friends who are fans of DC Comics. I know of ridiculously wealthy people in the entertainment business. They are also fans of DC Comics. So this isn't some crowdfunding, let's buy DC Comics. It was specific that a group of people, and in this case, um, I'm going to tell you they are producers. These are uh, producers of entertainment. Um, Some is television, some is filmed, but I, I will not, I'm not comfortable naming names yet, but this is the kind of situation where um, phone phones are picked up and messages are received and uh, meetings are taken in order to entertain the notion of would DC's publishing be up for sale? And I'm going to tell you flat out, these discussions amongst the community, the the ponderance of it, the the idea that, hey, do you think this could happen? Do you think this could happen? It's been going on for the last three years. DC has been up against the ropes with AT&T. It it would have been shorter, but because of the uh, hearings that had to take place for AT&T to clear the, you know, to clear the bar in regards to whether they were a monopoly, you know, there was, there was all sorts of, you know, because the sale was such a big number, it goes under, you know, government um, um, prudence. And so, so, so it, once they cleared it and they were established that they could indeed, AT&T could indeed buy Warners, then the, kind of all of the, um, the, the positions that had been held, uh, the, 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 some, some of the fears immediately uh, 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 took off because they had been held at bay as this thing was kicked through the courts. So nothing's going to happen while it's being kicked through the courts. AT&T could not purchase Warner Brothers until the government signed off on it, which they eventually did, but it was a years-long proposition that slowed the whole thing down. So my friends who worked at Warner Brothers, and I'm going to name a name specifically because uh, if you can't name, name name names and put you know asses in the seats and put people where uh, they were when they said these things, then it's no good. I'm going to tell you, I had a lunch with Hank Canals. K-A-N-A-L-Z. He was an executive, high up, vice president on the DC publishing chain for about a decade. Uh, definitely got uh, several 
promotions through the 52 and, and all of the different, the different revamps. Hank is a very smart guy. He is a very book smart, accomplished, degrees, uh, business head smart guy. He and I uh, were fans that met in the early 80s. We, um, we talked of doing all sorts of different comic book uh, ideas together. He had a bunch of ideas of his own that I think some of them he went off and entertained. He scripted the first issue of Youngblood alongside of me. That was kind of the culmination of our our um, friendship and, and how that you know took place is that his name is now forever on an issue of Youngblood number one, which launched Image Comics. So I know Hank. I used to drive to Hank's house in Corona, 20 minutes from here, hang out, talk comics. We had a particular um, aff- affection, especially during that time, for DC. In 1985, 86, 87, 88, that was golden, shining years for DC Comics. You're talking the very best they had to offer in a decade. Crisis on Infinite Earths was happening. George Perez uh, on the Teen Titans had never been better. The Legion was strong. Uh, you had John Byrne revamping the entire Superman line of books. Omega Men was a fun comic. Batman and the Outsiders is a book we liked. We loved so many. Green Lantern. We loved the entire spectrum of DC publishing. Uh, I would draw fan drawings all the time, pinups, sequential art pages. I'd drive to Corona. We'd hang out. We'd talk. Then we both, you know, he went off and did his business life. I went and did my comic book life. Hank had a very successful tenure as an executive at Six Flags prior to coming on board. Six Flags, which is owned by Warner Brothers, which may or may not be in the portfolio now of AT&T, but it was during the Warner Brothers stint. That's why you got all the Warner Brothers characters at the Six Flags parks, whether it was Bugs Bunny, Wile E. Coyote, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, whatever. Hank was an executive there. So Hank is now, uh, his passion for comics has rewarded him with this executive stint where he wields tremendous influence and power. We, I am going to lunch with him in 20, uh, 2018 to discuss the possibilities that are going on with Youngblood as a film and uh, no, letting him know where he should, uh, you know, just, just as, as a guy whose name is on the very first issue of Youngblood and, a, and, and, and someone who would come up on a Google search for the Youngblood property, I wanted to inform him of everything that was going on and what I believe if this uh, Youngblood movie would come together, what he should uh, position himself in regards to ask for and just to tell him that he had my support. And so while we are walking back from the Hyatt, which is where we had our lunch, and walking back towards Hall B of the San Diego Comic Convention Center, Comic-Con, the convention center itself, Hank, when I ask him how's everything over at DC, he says, well... We're all very concerned. We are all very concerned about what's going to happen with AT&T. They're a tech company. They're a phone company. And, and we just don't believe that we um, are in the clear with them. He said it's very important that we are profitable. And we are. He, he asserted we are profitable. But I'm not sure that we matter in the grand scheme of a giant tech company. Those were foreboding words. He was concerned. It wasn't flippant. It was, well, Rob, let me tell you. Hank is, uh, again, great guy, good guy. 
And unfortunately for Hank and everybody like him, those fears were realized early in 2020 when uh, they they were all uh, released from their, their 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 positions. And DC took a dramatic um, undersizing, massive layoffs, two to three waves of layoff after layoff after layoff. Good people shown the door. People who had relocated from New York City to um, Southern California, hesitantly, I might add. Southern California is very expensive. I've lived here my entire life. I was born here. I was born in Orange County. I have lived in Orange County. I have watched California for 53 years. I have watched it change. I have watched property values soar. I have watched taxes soar. I understand the cost of doing business in Southern California. And uh, when Warner Brothers took the big plunge, decided to go Hollywood, moved out here a decade ago. There were a lot of people who did not want to make the trip, some who had to be coerced into making the trip, and many who said, I'm not going with you. I love the East Coast. I love New York City. I love Manhattan. I love my East Coast existence, and I'm not going to um, change to West Coast where you know my, my, my cost of living will go up and my quality of life will go down. And that happened for lots of people who went from, you know, Homes to apartments, homes to condos. I know these people. They, 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 they took a shot. They wanted to live the dream because people, comic books, more than anything, it's a passion. It's a passion. I'm doing this podcast because it's a passion of mine. I draw every day because it's a passion. I, 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 do, I, I create stories, sequential art, because it is a passion. These people who took the pilgrimage to Burbank did it out of their passion to be in the comic book industry, create comic book content. And AT&T, shortly upon taking over, used whatever uh, was on the ledger, whether it was uh, the, you know them using the pandemic as a shield. But I think that they, you know, the pandemic was not in anyone's mind in the summer of in July 2018 when Hank Canals is telling me we're very concerned that we don't fit AT&T's model. A year later, DiDio, Dan DiDio, who was the publisher, co-publisher, I guess, had had said like he was trying to impress the AT&T guys with how much money DC Publishing makes. And in this report, the AT&T um, powers that be were like, you don't generate, uh, your division would be the least profitable and would not generate the kind of yields that we want. Let me pivot here again. I have a lot of friends in the entertainment industry. I've done entertainment contracts. I've done, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've had my properties created and adapted. So I, I know this is what I know of and I know of what I speak. And when I don't know of something, I call my entertainment attorney or someone in the entertainment business and I say, hey, break this down to me so that I understand this. Uh, when companies call me, they go, hey, we know we, you know your way around this. And, and so, so, so we, we want to get into this immediately, given that we know that we can't take advantage of you, that you know what you're doing here. The reason I bring this up is that when, uh, you know, AT&T looks and says, you know, in the publishing division, you know, let, let's say it's, let's say it's $30 million. Let's say DC yields them $30 million. This is what I was told from my Disney and my Fox friends over the last six years, and this is the best way to put it. And my buddy, uh, I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't know if you're gonna. Um, I, I won't use your name, but you, you you gave me the best 
example of this ever. He said, Rob, these studios, and, in, and at this time he was talking of Warner Brothers specifically at an industry dinner, these studios are giant motherships like Independence Day that hover in the air. They are expensive, they are expansive, and to keep them afloat, they need giant influx of fuel. In, 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 so, so, so for the argument, the fuel is the cash. They need these billion-dollar blockbusters after billion-dollar blockbusters and all of the revenue that they can generate. They need that to stay afloat. And that is why it's so important that the movies work and that they have spinoffs and that they go into the theme parks and merchandising, all of these things. The last thing anyone speaks of is the comic books because, again, the comic books are the passion. And I'm going to get to the fact, because I make comic books, people. You've got to understand, I have comic books back in this argument. So if you're like, what's life? No, no, I have comic books back, okay? I'm a comic book guy. The thing is that the fuel that generates those is now pivoted to streaming and streaming content. You know, Disney gained uh, an, an immense amount, I think 60 million, no, it was 80, 75 million streaming customers in the pandemic year. Shortly after launching, they are at 95 million as of the report last week, 95 million streaming uh, customers Whereas Netflix has 120, do you not believe that Disney will surpass them in the next two years? They will. My money is on Disney, Disney Plus, all of their content surpassing them. Then, then they'll and and at a nine billion yield on that. Imagine if it goes up a dollar, two dollars. Netflix has been pushing our prices for years. What grabs the eyeballs continues to grab the eyeballs is the entertainment content derived from comic books. This is important. We're going to put a pin on this. We're going to get back to this. In regards to publishing, the, 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 the part of the publishing that attributes to the bottom line would be significant in, in, in almost any other business, but then you're going to AT&T that makes their business off phones, okay? Uh, and phone connections and, and telecommunications, okay? Another buddy of mine, a, a buddy of mine that works at Apple says all of their entertainment that they are creating, and we have watched all of it for all mankind. Uh, uh, the 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 morning show, C uh, Dickinson, we watch all of it. He said that the people at, at Apple recognize first and foremost they make phones, they make computers, they make technology. The entertainment is kind of something that they're just entertaining because they can. The entertainment is not relied on to bring them significant revenue streams. It is the sale of their iPhones, their iPods, uh, uh, earbuds, their, 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 their MacBooks. That is what is driving Apple in every sense of the word. The entertainment stuff is the fluff. It's almost as if it's being produced for the glory of the guy running Apple so that he can have seats at the Emmys, so that he can go to the Golden Globes and he can hang out with movie stars. Just saying. It's almost what it appears to be. That app, But the Apple Entertainment Channel is not driving Apple. It is the technology that is making them trillions of dollars. So we've set the table here about these tech companies and, the, and, the, and, and, and where their priorities are. And let me tell you, it is no secret that DC Publishing is not a a priority 
to AT&T. What's a priority to AT&T is Batman as an intellectual property across all platforms. Video games, cartoons, movies, TV, toys, okay? That matters to them because that pot is immense. It is immense. That is where you get your huge profit. The yield, the burn is so much bigger. And and they have not, in, in my estimation, neither Warner Brothers nor Disney has yet put out the maximum exploitation that they could on their streaming networks in regards to Wonder Woman was kind of a weird hybrid. You got it if you were already a subscriber. Therefore, you know, it drove you to subscribe. And then it would stay on for a matter of weeks until it went to a pay-per-view model. And in the places that could show in a theater, it got shown in a theater in a really difficult time during this last pandemic year. But they didn't say HBO Max, one-time show, you have to buy it like like we do a pay-per-view um, when, when we go on and we will buy a movie as we will this weekend to watch and we will pay the $19.99 and I will justify it as there's four people in my house watching this so it's five bucks a pop. It's a cheap ticket. It's cheaper than if I took my kids to the theater. If they put out Black Widow, if they put out The Eternals or Shang-Chi Disney and did the Mulan model that said you get this for a, actually different than the, the, the Mulan model, you get this for that 72-hour period. You're going to pay $19.99 to watch our new Marvel content, That this two-hour film. That will be, and I believe we are closer to that than we can imagine, but eventually someone will pull that trigger and we will see the absolute value and worth. No theaters to compete with. All the money is streaming and streaming alone. With a pay-per-view component, component that is outside of the subscription model, you already subscribe to Disney and then you're going to buy these standalone whatever, Okay. Let's be honest, if Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe was a two-hour movie starring Ryan Reynolds and you know Mark Ruffalo and Jeremy Runyon and all the surviving uh, MCU characters outside of the uh, past over Chris Evans and, and Downey Jr., uh, if that were to happen, you don't think that people would pay maybe even $29.99. I mean, there are definitely models and there are discussions that have been had, but publishing, DC, these investors. Why is this going on? Well, we had to set the table and tell you exactly what people on the inside of DC Publishing knew two and a half years ago. Their concerns all came to fruition. So many of them were shown shown the door. So many of them, so many very um, well-paid, hardworking executives who did everything they could to justify whatever salary they had. These people put in the extra hours. They did their very best to, to not only create the content, but uh, sell the content to you, whether it is in the direct market via toys and collectibles or trade collections, digital collections, the day-to-day, the weekly comic book line of books of, of, of DC characters, okay? They did all of this. They did every single one of these things. They tried their best. They were shown the door summarily cut because it no longer worked on the AT&T business plan as the shift towards making them more uh, geared towards, you know, intellectual property collectibles increased because the last time I looked, the DC division is under the uh, licensed licensed properties division. That is who now oversees it. They were severed from the entertainment division a couple of years ago, if you weren't paying attention, and now licensed products is what runs DC Comics, and the publishing component has shrunk 
like severely, like, like, I mean, it has really shrunk. Now you say, but Rob, these the DC comics are doing well. Are they, are they doing well? Uh, the, you know, in my surrounding stores, Orange County is a booming market. We have plenty of comic stores. We have stores in Tustin, in Santa Ana. We have store, stores in Irvine. We have stores in Orange, in Anaheim, several in Fullerton and La Habra. There is a dedicated comic book flea market. It, 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 it demeans it calling it a flea market because it's inside this swank, uh, restored Best Buy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, Sam's Club. And 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 really, I mean, fully air-conditioned, well-lit, beautiful. So it's, it's, it's just a dedicated comic book marketplace that is open on Wednesdays. Saturdays and Sundays. These generate tons of tons of, of foot traffic, interest, revenue. Everyone I know is doing well doing this. These people tell me that the current uh, slate of DC Comics is being seen as a placeholder. This uh, future slate, they did something like this a couple years back when during people's move, they did an event that kind of put a pause on the regular adventures. I myself am sitting Batman out until the regular Batman creative team comes back. I am deeply invested in those stories and those characters. And while they took a pause, so did I. And this is industry-wide for the most part. Now, there has been one super hot Teen Titans book with Red X uh, that comes from the Teen, Titan to Teen Titans Go cartoon that my kids grew up loving. My two boys loved that on Cartoon Network. So I immediately saw, when I saw Red X, I knew exactly what they were doing and where that was coming from. And that also is going to dovetail into another point very shortly. But this this exploitation of of of, uh, of of these characters is first and foremost, and the publication of them is not. And DC Comics has shrunk their line. And currently, uh, my retailers tell me that people have taken two months off to reassess because of this future uh, future state uh, event that in essence is a contained industry-wide event that you either are on board with or aren't on board with. And I, I know from my retailers, they have said that, the, that, that many fans have jumped off and seen this as a placeholder. Now, will they be back when operations resume? That is the understanding. So, so there is positive news on that front. The, the issue with the publishing and why would investors come in and, and, Here's the biggest, and here's why I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm 22 minutes into setting the table here. But the idea, I have seen a lot of just ignorant people online saying ignorant things like, no one would want to buy the publishing. That's absurd. Without the, um, the, 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 the multi-platform exploitation of these comic book characters, it wouldn't be worth it. You are wrong. That is erroneous. That is completely ignorant. And that is wrong thinking. There is money to be made in publishing to a group of people who want to value publishing, value the library, and you could do very, very well. Why would this then appeal to AT&T if there's money to be made at publishing? The way it would appeal is, let's say, DC posted $20 million, $25 million in profits. I am making that number up. Whatever that number is, let's say they posted that in profits in the last 12 months. By removing the, the cost of producing the comics and emptying out the division that is on site so that there is no more dedicated staff other than maybe a licensor who oversees it. If, if you guarantee, you walk in, you're the investor group, you've raised 
$30 million, enough to where you say, we will guarantee you a payment, $15 million twice annually, tw- or a, a total of $30 million. We're going to give you, we're going to make sure that you, Warner Brothers, make the exact same profits you're making now. I mean, AT&T, not Warner Brothers. It's going to take a while for me to get used to this. That you, AT&T slash Warners, is going to make the $30 million you made last year. You're going to make the exact, exact same amount, and you're going to spend nothing producing them. That is a gain, a net gain of $60 million to them. Let's say they're spending 30 to make 30 or they're spending 20 to make 30 Regardless, you're not going to be spending money producing these comics anymore. So by that, you are turning the faucets off in terms of your production cost. You're only getting profits supplied by this new division that will then introduce a new uh, series of families of books. Let's hope, let's hope that they that they produce if this were to happen in this fantasy scenario in this although I am I am telling you I know people who are talking to DC who are talking to Warners who are talking to AT&T who are pushing this through who are put who want this to be looked at let's call it the tires are being kicked uh, the tires are absolutely being kicked I will not name the names because then that gets me in trouble because people will absolutely lie and deny And so I am just here to tell you that whether this happens or not, I'm telling you why it's being considered. AT&T, sometimes your accountant on your big firm, he just wants to get somebody off the books. There was an issue that I had a couple years uh, ago that I was calling going, why are these people offering me a buyout? And my buddy said, they just want your name off the ledger, that your name bothers them and they want your name off the ledger. And that really seemed to be the most common sense re, you know reason why this would be being offered to me and and I didn't go through with it because I didn't feel that it was appropriate for me at the time and I would rather stay involved rather than have a buyout but sometimes buyouts are simply there to remove you from the, you're just a nag to this ledger and they want you off the ledger and in this case I think AT&T says we can make the same money not producing the comics. So if you if I leaned far too much into her- heresy for you and you're a DC fanatic and you're pulling out your hair and you're screaming at me right now, you have to know how much that I love DC Comics. On my shelves are the most expensive hardcover editions that you could possibly find chronicling the Watchmen, Dark Knight, the Neil Adams Green Lantern, Green Arrow Adventures, Dead Man, uh, the Legion of Superheroes, all of the George Perez Marv Wolfman, Teen Titans, Omnibuses. I am deeply invested. I have oversized collections, trade collections. I have bagged and bored singles of all of these books. Right now, I may be sitting out the large part of their line, but I am looking to re-engage when I have a reason to re-engage. But how did it get to all of this? Why isn't the publishing as valuable as you would say it is over at Marvel Comics? I'll tell you why. Marvel took way more risks early on and and in doing so, Feige understands the nuances of all of the, let's call them the second and third kind of tier characters. Tier is a good word. Tier characters. When I was a kid, the second and third tier characters were Luke Cage, Power Man, Daredevil, Wolverine, before he blew up, okay? It was Prince Namor. It was Iron Fist. It was the Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? It, it, it was Punisher, these were the second tier. The A-list was Spider-Man, Hulk, 
Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. That was your A-list at Marvel Comics. Vision, Scarlet Witch, second tier. We're going to get to them. Second tier, third tier. You're dedicated. They were the more interesting characters. They're why I was as dialed into the comics. My wife, and we'll get to this soon, about WandaVision. We were discussing it. I was showing her some comics. She had genuine interest because the show has taken up so much of her, has captured her imagination. And again, by laying out all the comics, I told her, the Avengers was the dedicated home for Scarlet Witch, Vision, Beast, and Wonder Man. That was your core. I, I've mentioned this in past podcasts. They were there for 10 years. Scarlet Witch, Vision, Beast, and Wonder Man lived in the mansion. Iron Man, Thor, Captain America would come and go. Hawkeye would come and go. But you had a quartet that lived there. That was your where, where your dedicated subplots and your soap opera drama was, was consistent. Every time another big Avenger flew in for another big fight and stayed until that fight or that conflict was resolved, then we would go back and we would continue the dedicated storylines with Wanda, Vision, Wonder Man, and Beast. And Beast had been pulled over from the X-Men where he was a like fourth-rate character and he became a second-rate superstar, second-tier superstar in the Avengers. They understand this. Kevin Feige understood inherently the value of the galaxy, the Guardians of the Galaxy. So much so that he greenlit a 150 million plus movie to pulling it off. And in doing that, he showed the world, my catalog is deep, my bench is deep. Tonight, I'm going to watch a Laker game. I'm going to watch them play the Nets. Two teams that are seen that that seem to be among the best in their respective divisions. The headline is Nets and Lakers. This matchup will test the depth of their respective benches since the Lakers will be without their superstar power forward. And it is looking as if the, the I'm, I'm sorry, the Lakers will be without their superstar power forward and the Nets will be without Kevin Durant. So depth, depth of benches, they get you further in competition, whether it's sports or comic books or great casts, the cast of LA Law, the cast of Friends, the cast of Cheers, these these casts that were so deep that you go, I don't mind if the focus goes to this character for this time, you know, and 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 if we have a, 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 a multi-part storyline that follows this uh, character that isn't necessarily the star, the highest paid character, but man, there's some real great meat on those bones and we will follow that story for the next three or four episodes. Depth is important. Marvel and DC both have depth. Marvel recognized their earlier, exploited it earlier, bigger, and DC is still fighting to come out from the fact that they are completely and totally reliant on Batman to, to a fault. And I blame that, put that at the feet of Dan DiDio, who blamed, not blamed, I blame Dan DiDio for his over-reliance on Batman, 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 Batman. So the reason why and AT&T would shut down everything and maybe not even do the licensing because of the hassles. But th th that makes no sense to me. But the reason that they would get out of the publishing day-to-day -day business, what do they get out of it? Not uh, more, more headaches than it's worth. People that can sh suddenly draw a penis on Bruce Wayne, Batman, or have it, you know, request that it's drawn. It gets through the system. Batman is suddenly you know, a source of controversy and their stock is tanking as a result. Those are the kind of headaches they don't want. It's hard to keep artists in line. We are, as artists, always kind of a, we need to be heavily policed. 
Even back in the Jim Shooter era, he talked about the hippie-minded. And I'm not saying hips like your physical hips. He was talking about the hippie culture, of which most everyone who was drawing for him at that time was of the hippie culture. And he would say the, the difficult hippie culture artists were shown the door or asked to exit and have fun, find a new life over at DC Comics. Corporate culture, artist culture are always in clash. And when someone does something or 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 or, or d- does something controversial in a comic book, suddenly it blows up. Everyone carries it. You know, get the comic that has Batman's penis in it. And suddenly you're in a tailspin. You're being called into your office. You're getting chewed out, I am sure. Dan DiDio heard about that. They're not excited. No exec at the company is excited that Batman Damned is going for $60 day and date because it's now controversial being pulled off shelves. They... That means nothing to them. They do not want to deal with that in their lives. That is an after effect of shutting it all down and saying, we have this treasure trove. We've paid for this collection of comics that has 60, 70 years worth of stories more. And we're just going to mine that. We're going to let filmmakers, animators, game makers, we're going to let them mine the existing comic book material and let me propose to you that is there a mindset in the corporate suites that they never have to produce one more single brand new batman or superman comic there is there is now think of this we are in a batman movie with robert pattinson what is this is this our third batman in a decade there's been christian bale there's been ben affleck now there's pattinson I know there's been Batman's Bruce Wayne versions on TV in the Titans, in 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 the the Crisis crossover on the CW. So I'm talking about the cinematic Batman alone. We've had at least three of them in the last ten years, and the rumor has it from what we've seen that the movie, the 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 Batman movie, is dealing with classic characters: Catwoman, Riddler, Penguin. These are these are the names that have been um, bantied around. So when you take that into consideration, you know what these are the classic, the classic Batman characters that have been around for forever before I was born. Now I'm 53. Okay, so so is the new movie dealing with anything that's happened in the last 10 years in, in comics? Is, is is the Court of Owls in there? You know, is it going to be revealed when it's there? Well, that would be a great argument for for that, that something relevant in these books happened, okay? But, you know, is Wonder Woman likely to pick up a chainsaw in Wonder Woman 3 and reflect what's happening in metal, no matter how riveting and awesome that image is? It is not likely. It is likely. I mean, it'll be Wonder Woman's third film and they did Cheetah and Max Lord, which, you know, you're going all the way, all the way back with Cheetah and Max Lord is in the eighties. Okay. What I'm saying here is the, the last of the Nolan films had Bane. Bane had been introduced 20 years prior. It had Catwoman. Okay. So, so my favorite of the Batman films, Batman Begins with Ducard, Raze Azgul, Raze Azgul, however you pronounce it. Uh, that that depiction was specific and original to Batman Begins, the Himalayas, the the the, the, the fact that Ducard was Reza Ghoul and trained Bruce Wayne to be the Batman. All that stuff was fresh. It was new. That's Christopher Nolan. Okay, that's his unique spin. His unique spin on Heath Ledger 
was why we loved the Joker so much. His unique spin on how he wanted Heath Ledger to portray it. Then Heath Ledger put that identity on and obviously gave us a performance of the lifetime, which gave us the Joker that we all you know, know and love. And then two years ago this fall, this upcoming fall, we got Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, which blew the doors off. Another disturbing portrayal uh, of a character that is as old as Batman. So the new material, the new nemesis that are confronting Batman, they aren't making that leap cinematically. So what is the value intrinsically to DC, to AT&T in terms of the entertainment, the fuel that, that, that keeps their giant motherships aloft. When I heard that analogy a decade ago, it resonated with me. That's exactly what it is. It's th- this, this giant fuel. Think of them like if the, if, if, if the mothership was fueled by water and positioned itself over the ocean, it just keeps sucking up water and it's endless and it needs an endless supply because these, these, these corporate these corporately structured organizations, their buildings, their holdings, they they constantly need this giant influx to keep going. Otherwise, what's, what are they going to do? They're going to crash and they don't want to crash. They want to stay afloat. Then you say, Rob, what about Harley Quinn? You're missing Harley Quinn. Perfect. This is what I said about putting a pin in it. Harley Quinn was created in a cartoon. She was the product of, a, of Batman the Animated Series and that character was one of the most significant additions to the Batman canon on a cartoon seen by millions that was then adapted and re-reverse engineered into the comics after making the debut on the animated series. And if you wanted to put a line from Harley Quinn to the Harlequin, who was Dwayla Dent, who was Joker's daughter, uh, and 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 had this uh, called Joker's daughter in the Titans comics. Dwayla Dent, she appeared in the 70s uh, Teen Titan books. Her name was The Harlequin. That seemed to be the template to give you Harley Quinn. To me as a fan, that's what it seemed as if. You can go, there's a great cover with Two-Face, it's arm around her, Gunder Dwayla Dent's head. I bought all those books in 1975, 1976. It was right, it was a couple of years before the George Perez, Marv Wolfman utter transformation. But The Harlequin, was her name, and she had Joker's face, purple hair, white makeup. Then we get to Harley Quinn, which is a result of uh, the Batman, the animated series, Paul Dini, Bruce Timm, okay? So you go, but what about Harley Quinn? Well, what about her? She was not created in a comic as part of a comic book storyline. She was created to be featured and consumed on an animated show, and her popularity was such that she was reverse engineered into the comic books. That only serves to further the point that I'm making here that I don't share this point of view but I'm telling you the cynical point of view please if you are listening to this again I'm on the side of comic books but when you look and talk and interact with these corporate people they're in their mind they have the enough material to carry them another 50 100 years one of my favorite Superman villains of all time debuted in the 80s his name is Mongol Mongol, and he was, uh, he he was created by Jim Starlin, who gave you Thanos. Okay, in a DC Comics uh, presents storyline where he and and he had a he had a he had a uh, thing called War World, this giant you know spaceship 
floating planet apparition mechanized weapon and Superman and Supergirl had to defeat him. It was big in scale. He is an amazing looking character. Jim Starlin and Paul Levitz later did one of my favorite Superman comics ever. Uh, my favorite, obviously, being Superman Muhammad Ali, but down the line, this is close as his top five. A, a character called Starman and a character called, and, and Superman teamed up to battle Mongol, and it is my favorite, my favorite artwork of Jim Starlin's ever. He penciled it and inked it himself, and it is nothing short of amazing, fantastic, dynamic, brutal. The violence is great. Mongol beats Superman into the ground. Mongol, M-O-N-G-U-L. He he is a classic-looking, powerful, cosmic villain, the likes of which uh, cinematically uh, would just blow your face off. He hasn't been seen. He was created in 1980, okay? That character is 41 years old and I have not seen a cinematic depiction of him yet. I want to in the worst possible way. I would also love to see more Drew, a sorcerer from the Legion of Superheroes. I would love to see the Fatal Five, a gathering of five deadly villains, including the Emerald Empress from the Legion of Superheroes. I, I would love to see all these characters, but there's no even there's no Legion of Superheroes cinematically for me to enjoy at this time. Okay, that that doesn't exist. I have never seen my favorite DC concept, the Legion of Superheroes, put on film. If you never created another Legion of Superheroes comic, and for the last five years they didn't, um, and and it certainly has issues being accessible, but with one brilliant writer producer who figured out that this is Star Trek meets the X Men, you know these are superheroes that come together under this United Planets banner and different alien races and um, and powers are brought together in this one giant uh, team dedicated to defending all of the United Planets and, and, and their um, kind of cohesive bond and protect them and all the different uh, enemies that they face throughout the galaxy. The Legion of Superheroes should have been greenlit the Monday morning after the receipts on Guardians of the Galaxy were present. Guardians of the Galaxy, the president of Fox told me straight up, flat out, Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the most important aspects why Fox put the green light on Deadpool between the leaked footage of the Tim Miller three-minute Deadpool short film, the, the, the test footage that got leaked, and the Guardians coming out a few weeks later, Fox said, wow, a bunch of characters that are not household names with a great emphasis on humor connected in a big way that that guardians of the galaxy you can draw a direct line between them and getting deadpool made okay so but legion just sat there so this company does not know what it has in its in its catalog in its treasure trove of characters and there is a predominant thought among the corporate group think that we don't need more why are we paying so and so you know what what always i'll tell you what always will draw attention to this is when you overpay a piece of talent because you think that talent will represent some great triumph for you, except that talent was done, was through, had spent 20 years with another company and had drawn, had, had, had really worked on every possible um, comic book and was now kind of, the, the worth to the existing company had, had been at its lowest. And so then you overpay for the name value of this guy who had been working and producing these comics with another publisher for almost two decades to the point where there was nothing left for that talent to express himself. 
You then overpay and somebody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We pay a comic book guy this much, that many zeros? That will then become the mechanism with which the trap door is activated and you fall all the way through it. And in, and, and, and you get a couple more like that and you're in a lot of trouble. And now the, the, the higher-ups go, we don't pay every comic book guy this much, do we? I want to see all the contracts. You have opened Pandora's box. I told you once. Paul Levitz told me, Rob, we we just we love being number two. Number two, number two gets us gets us you know no attention, and we get overlooked, and we're not seen as important, and we can just do what we do. We can just do what we do, Rob. That's why being number two is so great. It was a valid, it, it was a valid approach to flying under the radar, and in that way, Paul Levitz should be applauded. That those are his words to me, San Diego, nineteen ninety three cocktail party. Uh, after our industry event at, at Comic-Con. And he was just like, this is how I run things, baby. I run us under the radar. So that, as he, again, he said, when you're number one and then you're not number, if, if, if we were to crawl over Marvel and become number one for three months, then our boss would say, well, why don't you number one all the time? Because everybody loves number one. You've all heard Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. There's a reason that that saying is as funny as it is because there are people (laughs) who believe it, okay? So if you become first and then you drop it after three months, well, then you got a lot to answer for. That's great. Just be prepared to answer for it and be prepared to try and take that slot six six out of 12 times a year so you can say, hey, man, we were number one as long as our rival, 50-50, okay? But great ambitions need to be backed up and when they're not a lot of times again in the world of sports when those ambitions fall short the guy who's trying to be ambitious then goes and links up with someone else who can get him to where he needs to be whether that's adding a superstar center power forward another guard now they're like i'm in i'm in the position to be competitive again with dc their answer to to making up ground that they were ceding to marvel because marvel will take a punch in the face competitively and they will regroup faster than you can say house of m civil war x-men whatever they will regroup and they will double down and make sure you never lay a hand on them again and that is what happened with marvel 10 years ago they made certain we will not be caught napping again we will be as assertive with our publishing schedule as we could ever be and make sure that dc cannot outgain us and it really became so. There have been years where DC is number two, was not number one at any point. After tasting it briefly in the very, very most ambitious DC 52 hats off, it was ambitious. It didn't have a long term plan behind it, which is why it ran out of steam immediately. But you're AT&T and you go, I haven't gotten to all these different stories. My Mongol story is you got a big talent. Jim Starlin, he created Thanos, the face of Endgame and Infinity War. He is a fantastic looking visual. If you see Mongol, you will go, that character is super badass. He could wipe his butt with Superman. He took on Superman and Supergirl. He has cosmic machinations. He's dastardly. He's physically amazing looking, as as awesome looking as Darkseid is. He hasn't been activated yet. Should he be? Could he be? Absolutely. Does he need new stories? Not really. Did he have a did, did Jim Starlin's Mongol get a annual written by Alan Moore that is one of like the most acclaimed standalone 
Superman annuals, stories of all time, he did. Mongul has cachet. He has resume. He is a formidable bad guy. But we still get Superman, you know, battling the villains from Krypton and some iteration of Lex Luthor almost every time out. And in the meantime, Marvel's saying, hey, check out check out this weirdo sitcom, you know, laden uh, Marvel uh, 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 series. I mean, it's so offbeat. The word I'm looking for is offbeat. And it is garnering nationwide acclaim, worldwide acclaim, not nationwide, worldwide acclaim with two second tier characters while you're still not sure if you want to make another Superman movie with Henry Cavill. When you look at how botched the Justice League and the handling of Zack Snyder was, and we are now removed from Ben Affleck's Batman, which was a crowd pleaser. He looked great. He was great. But there was some fumbling of that ball. And so now we are moving on to Pattinson and Matt Reeves and this vision. And we are still featuring the Riddler and the Penguin and Catwoman. And maybe it's based on 24-year-old material, the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, Long Halloween, and maybe it's not. But baby, the argument that there doesn't need to be a single new comic book, especially one featuring Batman, is one that the corporate, you know, overlords, they don't have to work hard to convince themselves of that fact. So a new group, a group of people with some money come in. They say, look, we'll license this. One guy goes, they would never license it. What are you talking about? Buck Rogers is a license that you can obtain. Dynamite, Boom Studios, Dark Horse, they live on licenses. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, okay? Uh, The Power Rangers, you know, Planet of the Apes. Marvel is now doing Predator. It's not necessarily a license because it's now in the Disney family because Disney bought Fox and Predator was part of the Fox portfolio. But licensed, you know, material for years kept Star Wars, kept kept Dark Horse afloat, formidably so, for 20 years because they had that powerful license. Licensing a character is not difficult. It is not without the realm of possibility that an entire line of DC Comics gets licensed to an investment group who says, we only want the publishing and we believe that we can churn out hundreds of thousands of issues a month at a certain price point that puts us in profits given hardcover, trade collection, variant exploitation, and fresh new blood. What this universe needs worse than anything, DC needs fresh new blood. It needs to cut the ties of the existing corporate, uh, uh, you know, whatever in the executive suites they believe as as comic books, as DC comics, they need new blood. There's only a few tenants of the existing management team of the last 20 years. They need a brand new view. I talked to one guy who has debated whether to jump in, and he told me I I would have to go in a whole new direction. I want an entire new direction. And would fans show up for a new direction of Batman and Superman and finally uncorking maybe the potential of the Teen Titans, the Justice Society, the Legion of Superheroes, OMAC, the Fourth World, New Gods, Forever People, the Blackhawks, Firestorm? Yes, they would. Yes, they would. They would be there for that. They would absolutely... You would talk about a line of competitive comics, the likes of which you could never possibly imagine. And there would be a licensor at DC Comics that would have to sign off on it. In the same way 
that when DC, who has licensed Batman quite a few times in the last few years, have you seen Batman Turtles? Have you seen Batman Power Rangers? These comics exist. They exist because Batman was licensed. Marvel licensed their characters to IDW in kid-friendly digest and comics, younger versions of the Marvel comic characters, as well as Star Wars. This is happening. It's happening right now. The idea that there are retailers in retail groups on Facebook, on Twitter, saying, this is absurd. This would never happen. That is, the, the, the idea that you are sharing that is the absurd part. Tarzan, The Shadow, these are licenses that I grew up with. Flash Gordon will be licensed again. They're talking about a big big movie. They will license it to someone. Godzilla, when you see that published, that is a function of a license. I did license comics. I did the Power Rangers. I did Battlestar Galactica. No one was doing Battlestar Galactica. It was repeats on the Sci-Fi Channel in 1993. I cut a deal with Universal Studios for a three-year contract, and I produced as many Battlestar comic, Galactica comics as I could. It was back. It hadn't been published in... 15 years, people showed up. We did we did outstandingly. We did so well with those books. G.I. Joe is a license. The Turtles is a license. The Turtles is licensed from Nickelodeon to IDW. And if you don't think IDW is cleaning up with The Last Ronin and 130,000 issues of issue two, at is it a $5.99 book? Is it a $6.99 book? The thing you need to know is the casual listener, if you put out a $4 book, the, the, the publisher got $2. If you put out a $6 book, the publisher got roughly $3, okay? The the books, the, 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 the moving margins, you don't want to nail them down to the decimal point, but it ultimately acts as a 50% markup, okay? And a 50% yield. When I did Youngblood and it sold a million copies, I owned Youngblood. I owned the publishing. I made a dollar a book, okay? I made a million dollars. So you do 30 of those. You've got $30 million. You do, maybe you go, well, that's ridiculous. You can't sell a million. Can you? I don't know. I'm not convinced those numbers aren't attainable anymore, especially under the excitement of a new group of people that would come in and restart and refresh and say, this is our new investment group publishing line that we have the blessing of AT&T because we have taken costs away from them. There is no more expensive offices. There is no more expensive executives. There are no more golden parachutes. We have the publishing. We have guaranteed the same amount of money that AT&T was making last year with taking away their costs. By removing their costs, you are doubling that incentive to AT&T to in fact do this with you. Okay. So, you know, this is the long and the short of why this is even being entertained. AT&T wants to get you signed up on HBO Max for five, six, seven dollars a month. They want you to commit to a two-year plan, a three-year plan. They want to lock you in. They want to do that with millions of households. That the chase is on. They want to pursue the Disney and the Netflixes who are absolutely running away with the streaming model. Publishing is not their concern. And in and in regards to, but what about again, what about it? Harley Quinn did not even she didn't exist before she existed on an animated series. Harley Quinn did not come from a comic book, okay? So, and, 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 and are the comic books fantastic? I'm the comic book guy. I love it. Would I draw the Legion of Superheroes tomorrow? Would I write and draw the Legion of Superheroes tomorrow? Yes. To fulfill a, 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 a childhood sandbox notion? Yes. Would I do OMAC? Would I do OMAC better than anyone ever? Yes. It would be my life's work. Do I think that's going to happen? No. I'm, I, those are not like realistic possibilities for me. I'm running out of time. I only have so much, you know, so many more years that I'm going to be doing this period. And I've got a full set schedule of projects that I'm doing, but I'm telling you, would the passion and the desire be there? Yes. Do I think the line needs a fresh kick in the pants? Do I think 
it's appealing on so many different levels. Are there different producers of, of books out there that you can imagine could put their own unique spin on this? Yes, some of, some of the guys in the business may want to show run and apply their skills from filmmaking and producing television to doing an entire line. Would it be a different line of books? You get the Green Lantern line, you get the Batman line, you get the Superman line. I don't think that will happen. It, 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 it works best if it's all under one umbrella, which would mean it would be it would have to be one set payment that you would give to AT&T to satisfy them because then you're just, you're just, they're putting their hand out. You're putting money in them, found money. And it's even better because they didn't spend anything to get it. Okay. The overhead is gone. The overhead is gone. The costs are removed. All they are getting is pure profit. That is why this is being entertained. The, the failure of the publishing line to be more relevant falls on the entirety of, of the lack of cohesion and the lack of creative synergy that Marvel has exhibited for the last 20 years. Does, does, does Feige alert someone in the division that there will be Shang-Chi product, there will be Eternals project, give them a year out to get Eternals reprints, omnibuses, oversized hardcover collections, brand new series in the works? Yes, yes they do. They work hand in hand. It has got a synergy that DC has not had in 20 years. They are running to catch up. That is the cold hard truth. Is there good stuff that comes out of it? Of course. Will I go see Matt Reeves, Batman, yes. Does it matter to me while I'm sitting there in this cool, moody, you know, movie that he's going to be uh, uh, directing? If there's some cool conflict and action between Catwoman and Riddler and 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 Batman, am I going to be thinking about? Oh man, they haven't used these. They, all they do is keep using these characters over and over. No, as long as it's good, I won't care. But the the material that is generating them is not making the leap to film. Okay, the closest thing, when I look at the James Gunn Suicide Squad stuff, I look at a book that is now reflecting the tenets of a book that I sold when I worked as a retailer in 1985-86. I sold that at retailer when Suicide Squad launched out of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So we are, again, 41 years. Some of the stuff that you're getting from DC is 41 years old. So the argument can be made to AT&T, let's just shut it off entirely or give it to someone else who wants to dance with it. And as long as the finances are there, I believe this is real. I believe this really could happen. If it doesn't, it's because certain voices convince them otherwise. But who let them in the door? You should think about it. Who let them in the door? Is it maybe somebody who wants to continue to get their executive pay? Maybe is it somebody who wants to have an, has, have an, an, uh, you know, a role as an advisor? You know, who let them in the door to kick the tires, to, 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 to look under the chassis, to take it out for a test drive? What's the, in, you know, what's, what's the motive there? Because if, if you don't want them in the door, you can conceivably reach the powers that be and keep that door from ever being opened, okay? Because you like the things the way they are. But I'm telling you, friends, all those good people got shown their job. We are talking about three rounds of layoffs in the last 12 months that, I mean, so many good people, you know, lost their positions, lost their way of life, and there wasn't enough other positions to go around to fill what they did in the comics industry. And the guys, the women, the, the men and women left standing uh, most certainly had the richest deals and what they are doing in uh, service of preserving those rich deals is what's driving some of the chaos that you're reading about, period, end of story, full stop. So that is the idea of the DC dilemma, and you are not going to get it more succinctly than I just gave it, 
Could it all fall apart by this afternoon? Yes, 100%. Somebody says, nah, you know, not interested. And that, it, that that's it. It just, it just, you know, completely and totally then ceases to be. But do I believe there's a new direction? Do I believe a line of published comics from an investment group that takes over just the publishing could be A, profitable for them? Yes, because AT&T is not going to give you a taste of anything else. You're going to get paper publishing, which you're, you're going to get publishing. You're going to tell stories, comic book, serial adventures that can go to digital platforms. That So paper is not the limitation, but they are not going to give you a piece of the action figure, the cartoon, any of that. There's no interest in them. But there are publishing companies. I am certain right now than when that when 20th Century fought when Dark Horse was making their killer Star Wars line of comic books, they were not getting any kickback on whatever action figure came of that. They were in the publishing business, and there is there is money and profits to be made in publishing. Okay, that's the business I'm in. That's the business that we are discussing that we love. Do I believe the tunnel vision of the past uh, helped get them to where it is? I do. And, and yet, who's opening the door? Why are the tires being kicked? Why are they taking it out for a test drive? Who's trying to either facilitate the transition and maybe get a new position there or um, or, or not? Because if they didn't want them there, no one gets in. There, there are the, the gatekeepers. They control the gates for a reason. So we will continue to track this, monitor it. I hope you followed it. I have tried to be as concise and clear as I possibly could in the perils facing the AT&T arm. Marvel values their publishing and they make lots of money publishing and Feige values the publishing. And Ike Permutter, who still has the publishing, who is the biggest shareholder of Disney, um, sees it as valid, looks at the profits and loss, sees lots more profit than he does loss. And it and again, it, it all comes down to evaluations, guys. Beauty in the is in the eye of the beholder has never been truer here. You and I can see DC in a certain way, but if some corporate maven does not, then that beauty is not held in the same way that we are. Marvel values publishing as part of a synergistic uh, you know, application to their overall portfolio. It it is that 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 is that is valued. On, in the way that you would want it to be valued, okay? And they have fun making them, and they're still fun there. But the evaluation, if one person doesn't and one person does, that's where you get your rift. We're going to wrap up discussing briefly the market watch of WandaVision. And I am telling you the retailers that I talk to, because you guys, I go around, I get around, I talk to retailers, I go to stores, I buy comics. So everyone is buzzing about WandaVision. And um, well, the fact that the Scarlet Witch collections, individual issues, the maxi series of Vision Scarlet Witch, the mini series Vision, Vision Scarlet Witch, and all of the Scarlet Witch appearances and Vision appearances in so many different Avengers and West Coast Avengers books are driving interest and sales. That's exciting. That's good. We want retailers to sell stuff. We want them to do well selling this stuff. And the, 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 the I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why I think this is happening. When you go see Black Panther and you enjoy it, and yet at the end you're cheering, and you love it, and it's great, and you dig it, you walk out, you you saw a movie about the ruler of Wakanda and his fight to keep the throne, and that satisfied you for two, two and a half hours, and you dig it, and maybe you want to go read a comic or play with an action figure, but with this new, WandaVision is this first, you know, MCU show, okay, these aren't the Netflix shows, these are created by the same minds that have, that have manipulated our entertainment, um, you know, pleasure centers with their, you know, huge successful line 
of groundbreaking MCU films. They are now making shows. This is their first step into long-form storytelling. You're getting an episode a week. You're getting to chew on it for seven days at a time. You're getting things thrown at you that you knew nothing about. I call them the MCU brats. And when I say them, I'm talking about my kids. I call my kids now. I've, I've come the MCU brats. They used to think they knew as much as me. And WandaVision has shown them that they need, they need dear old dad and his comic book knowledge to break it down for them. And that sometimes Wikipedia is confusing and it's not telling you everything you need to know. And so what's the best way to do it? It's to go to the source, read the comics, just like read the books, read the comics. And I think the weekly engagement with these characters is revealing everything you did not know about characters like Scarlet Witch and Vision. And they have long, rich histories in the Avengers, in West Coast Avengers, in their own standalone miniseries. And people are seeking that out because everybody wants to be part of the conversation. Everybody wants to take part in in the sharing of stories, of theories. They want to be able to debunk your theories with knowledge because now it's clear, hey, guess what? The people who are making these, they read comics and they're adhering to large swaths of the history of these characters and they're implementing them. So maybe Monica Rambeau needs more of your attention. Maybe you have to understand more of how Scarlet Witch, how the depths of her power and influence. When I got into comics, Scarlet Witch was a powerful character, but in the course of me starting to pick her up in 1974 to 1977, in three years' time, they dramatically increased her power levels to the point where the people in the comics were going, wow, Wanda is really taking it to the next level. She's gotten more powerful. Again, I showed my wife uh, 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 Avengers uh, 171, 172, the, the Ultron, Bride of Ultron story. And when they reach Ultron in the convent and the Avengers are, have him cornered, there is multiple panels of Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and Wonder Man. So Superman's power, the Uru hammer of Thor, Iron Man's iron armor on full blast tilt, and the vibranium shield of Captain America striking Ultron all at the same time. There's multiple panels where they're striking him at the same time. And Ultron is standing there laughing. Scarlet Witch enters the picture. She breaks him. She breaks this adamantium construct and shatters him, and he collapses under the weight of her power to alter probability and warp reality and the chaos magic that she wields in form of these hexes. That was the first giant power leap. She would then go dark a couple years later and defeat the entire Avengers team, bring them to their their knees, be transformed into another identity. Then in West Coast Avengers, eight years later, she would once again go dark, team with her father, Magneto, and trash the Avengers repeatedly. These are power levels, power flexes that maybe when you saw Age of Ultron or you saw her go down as easy as she did in Endgame that, that, that you weren't, or Infinity War, you weren't prepared for. But now you're realizing that the comic books are templates, they matter, and this, this long-form storytelling, these weekly installments are, are just triggering a curiosity and, and, and a need to be satisfied with regards to the history of these characters. And it is driving sales and interest in back issues, trades, hardcovers, digital downloads of these issues. It is so fun to watch. I finally matter to my 20-year-old son who will ask me questions that he desperately wants answers for. And in this way, dad is one of his professors in school. The comic book professor, professorial, um, um, you know, 
uh, class of Robert Liefeld is open to my kids 24-7. I love sharing it. When my wife wanted to talk more about WandaVision last Saturday and she was looking through my trade paperbacks and my hardcover collections and my floppies, I hate that name, but you guys know what that is, the, the single issues, as I'm putting them in brand new Mylar sleeves because I couldn't believe I actually had the entire Vision, Scarlet Witch, Maxi, and miniseries here under my roof in the garage in one of the boxes. I was so thrilled it made its way from storage here to the house a couple years ago and there they were. And so, man, I am immediately putting those bad boys in Mylar. But this curiosity and the way that they are revealing different aspects of these characters, revealing them week after week, showing you different paths that could be taken, different possibilities. People want to get out and they want to get ahead of this. And these are characters who are no longer second tier. I think we can move Vision and Scarlet Witch right up to the A-list, right up to the A-tier because of the excellent way that this show has been executed and has been produced and it is just a thrill to watch the comic books move as a result. So that's my two cents on what's happening in the market. We want to be a part of this. We want to get educated. And now these characters, again, it's more than I'm the king of Wakanda and I have to fight off this usurper who is trying to take my throne. Okay. These are deep stories. These are some of the deepest, most complicated characters in the Marvel pantheon. And they deserve to be studied in the way that so many of you are. You guys, what a time to be alive. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you for listening to Rob's Observations. Continue to pass along. I love talking comics with you and pop culture and how this is all converging into the most exciting period of my life. I am digging it so much. Thanks for going on this ride with us. Thanks for, for hanging out with me. Continue to share with your friends. Subscribe, download, stay on top of it. Um, Observations is here to stay. You can find me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, long form at Robert Liefeld. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I have the blue checks. It's really me. I love talking to you guys. I read your messages. I love it. You guys lift me up. I love um, interacting with you and talking to you. I'm all over social media. I'm on Facebook. Reach out. Let's chat. Um, I will pick up next time when we meet. In the meantime, you are going to take care of yourselves. Please do your very best to stay safe and we will talk again real soon.